Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Between Bethel by Pastor Sean Wood. Let's pray as we come around God's Word. Father, right now, we just surrender our hearts to you. We ask you, Lord, to have your way. There are people here today that need healing that goes far deeper than our physical bodies, and we are aware of that. And so today, Lord God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have the liberty to move upon our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles today, uh, we're going to be mostly tracking through the book of Genesis. And today I want to talk about healing a little bit different, uh, perhaps, than uh, most here may be accustomed to, but I want to use the example of three men. One, we will anchor most of what we say today from the Old Testament in the life of a man by the name of Jacob. A little bit more about him in a moment, but also another two men from the New Testament. And uh, I love the story that uh, H.A. Ironside, a Bible scholar, gives of uh, some early pioneers in America. And as they're travelling westward across America, they come across these vast open prairies or plains. And off in the distance, to their horror, they notice two things. A huge line of smoke and a raging inferno that was blowing towards them. Now, they realise that it's about a day and a half's travel back to the nearest river that they have crossed. And even if they could run there and get there before the flames, they also realise the river's not big enough to protect them. It's never going to be able to shelter them from what's coming towards them. And finally, somebody comes up with the answer. He says, you know what? Let's burn the ground behind us. And as it cools, we'll recede across the burnt ground. That speaks so beautifully and wonderfully of the completed work of Christ. How there is a raging inferno sometimes that stands before all of us, but Jesus has burnt the ground behind us. Sometimes we get a little bit mixed up. We think that we have to, we are here and we have to win the victory. Jesus has already won the victory. He's already cleared the ground behind us. He's already given us a safe place. We don't, we don't fight to obtain the victory. We fight to enforce the victory that's already been obtained for us. And today, Jesus has burnt that ground behind us. There are people here that are facing an inferno in their lives, and Christ has provided healing for every person in this room. What do we mean when we say healing? Often when we say healing, we think that it applies just to our physical bodies, and it certainly does. I want you to know today that we firmly believe that the power of God can physically heal you today. There is evidence of that and we thank God for that. Often it happens, uh, sometimes not even in the way that we may expect. But healing in Bible terms means far more than your physical body. In fact, Isaiah 53, 5, a verse that we all love because it says that by his stripes we are healed. That's a messianic prophecy. What Isaiah is speaking about there, what he is proclaiming is a time when all things would be made new. There was going to be one, a man of sorrows, they called him, acquainted with grief. You can read the chapter later. It's a wonderful chapter. But it's speaking about a time when there would be healing available that nobody had ever encountered before. But the word healing there means wholeness. Wholeness stretches far deeper than your physical body. There are people here today that are unwhole for many reasons. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's hurt, maybe it's many different things from the past, but you aren't whole. 
Maybe you're sitting here today and you say there's something missing in my life and maybe that something is actually a somebody. You see, in the Old Testament, they were, they were still well accustomed to people being physically healed. Isaiah knew of physical healing. Hezekiah is one that he would have known of even in his own time. But he was forecasting a time when people could be made whole. And Jesus has made that available to every single person in this room. That's what the Bible means when it speaks about healing. The completed work of Christ means that you can be made whole. Uh, I want to be absolutely clear. I, want to, I love how God does these things. I want to be absolutely clear and forthright this morning. I believe there are people in this room that are, for want of a better term, between Bethel. And I'll, um, I'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment. But God has laid on your heart where he would like to take you. God's made promises to you. God's, God's possibly even... You've had moments and seasons in your life when God has revealed himself to you or opened himself to you and shown you the ground that he has for you, but you're not there. And I also firmly believe that there is a season that is coming upon this church, but before we can step into that season, there's some healing that needs to happen in our lives. Uh, Jacob is an interesting guy. For those that have met me in the book of Genesis, you can track with me. We're going to kind of, kind of zip through this man's life. When we, when we think of Jacob, most people know Jacob for two things. One is the, the account of Joseph, of course. Joseph and his dream coat get sold into Egypt and all those things. We're not going to focus on that today. The other one is uh, most people know Jacob for wrestling with God, which is actually incorrect. God wrestles with Jacob, as we will see today, a very important part of his life. But uh, before we arrive to the main part in Genesis 28 that I want to begin with this morning, let's get a little bit of context about Jacob. Who is Jacob and what is going on? What brings us to chapter 28? Uh, very briefly, God makes a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham. Uh, a wonderful covenant, uh, makes a relationship with him, uh, passes on the blessing to a man by the name of Isaac. Isaac is the father of both Jacob and Esau, who are twins. And uh, we know that Esau is the one that is firstborn. And in patriarchal times, or ancient times, it was customary that the firstborn would always receive the birthright. He would receive the blessing. They would carry on the covenant. The younger one would always serve the older one. That wasn't the case with Jacob. We know that. What we see with Jacob is a beautiful picture of how a relationship with God does not depend upon who your parents are. It doesn't depend upon what your heritage is, and it doesn't depend upon anything that you bring. It depends upon the grace and the mercy and the love and the tenderness of an almighty, glorious God. That's what we see in Jacob. What a beautiful lesson to learn from their life. But what brings us to chapter 28 is that Jacob obtains the blessing by deception. First of all, he kind of swindles the birthright from his brother. And then under deception, he cloaks himself because Esau was very hairy. I don't know what that's supposed to mean biblically, but he was very hairy. So he cloaks himself in fur, goes into his dad and deceives his dad for the blessing. And although Esau seeks it with tears, it says he was unable to obtain the blessing. And Esau determines, I will kill Jacob. Now, I hear this in my house all the time. I've got boys, right? And it sounds vain and it sounds empty. Well, it used to until Mitchell started saying it. I, uh, Mitchell premeditates it, I think. Uh, so I'm a little bit concerned. I think he actually means it. When he, when he says, I'm going to kill Levi, I'm convinced 
that Levi is in danger. But however, Esau had determined, he had made a vow that I will kill Esau. So bitter and twisted was Esau, excuse me, that he married the Hittite women just to spite his mum. Kind of like going to Tasmania to get a wife. If you want to pray for somebody today, pray for your pastor. But we're going to learn from two men. That's what I love about God. Uh, Jacob is in the middle right now of running away from God. He's caused an enormous crap storm, for want of a better term. That's Hebrew for a little bit of trouble. He's caused an enormous crap storm for where he is, and he flees. He's, he's got all these problems, and he's running away. His mum says, you've got to get out of here. You've got to go to a very far place called Padamaram. I practice that accent all week, so please clap, clap later on. But uh, he says, you've got to run to a place called Padamaram, well away from Esau. Because he kills you. He's going to kill you. And what happens to Jacob is he runs right into the arms of God. How amazing is God? Let's pick up the story. Chapter 28. Very briefly, uh, most of us will know this account. Verse 10, Jacob left Bathsheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Just note that for a moment, how God reveals himself to Jacob. The land on which you lie, listen to some of these promises, I will give to you and to your offspring. What has Jacob done to deserve the favour of God? Absolutely nothing. Newsflash, neither has anybody in this room. Verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Wow. Verse 15, what does God promise? He says, behold, I am with you. God promises his presence. What a promise that is. And I will keep you. He promises his preservation. Wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, will bring you back to this land. I love how God finishes this. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. There are people in this room today that need to hear those words. There are people in this room today that think I'm too old. There are people in this room that think I've mucked around for too long. I've wasted my life. God would never want to use me. God has said, I will not forsake you until I bring to pass what I have promised. But as we're going to see... Sometimes the journey involves a little bit of turbulence. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. God's presence is everywhere. We're just unaware of it sometimes, most of the time. Verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. If you want to fast track down here, he calls the name of that place Bethel in verse 19. But the name of the the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house. The real profound sentence coming up, it says in in peace. He says, the Lord shall be my God. That's a profound statement. That statement is full of profundity. Yes, I've been reading the dictionary again this week. 
Profundity is a real word. But that, that sentence is full of enormous profundity. Why? Because God reveals himself to Jacob. How many people in this room today have had that same moment in time when God reveals himself to you? God is no longer the God of, of your mum and dad. God is no longer the God. God is no longer a God. Jesus is no longer a Lord. He is your Lord. How many of us have had that moment How many times can we count that we've, we've known the sweetness of the presence of God and him speaking? How many of us have had the fire burning inside and we thought that it would burn so hot and rage so much that it would consume us? We've had those seasons in our lives and we miss that. Jacob's in one of those moments right now. He's at a place called Bethel. He doesn't stay there. There are many people in this room that are just like Jacob. They've had these moments and seasons in their life and maybe there's been many hurts. Maybe there's been many failures. Maybe you've made many mistakes. I'm not sure this morning what brings you to the point where you are today, but it's no coincidence you're in this room. Uh, you won't find the word coincidence linked with God just as an FYI. And maybe you think you'll never come back to Bethel. I want to tell you today, you can but sometimes there's an enormous amount of healing that's got to happen on the inside. In the New Testament, we fast forward to one of the shortest books in the New Testament, a book by the name of Philemon. Not Philemon and not Pokemon, it's Philemon. Interesting story here. Talk about running into the arms of God. Uh, in the first century, if you had a slave under Roman law and that slave uh, did anything wrong, you had full power to punish that slave how you saw fit, uh, even up to killing them if you desired to, which is pretty harsh. But Philemon was a man well known by Paul, the apostle. In fact, Paul had stayed in his house. Paul, when he was doing ministry journeys, would stay with Philemon, knew him quite well. And if you read the story, it'll take you about three minutes uh, over your breakfast. But uh, the story of Philemon is very beautiful because what happens is Onesimus interesting guy. Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, steals from Philemon and runs away from him. And how, isn't this just how God works? You think you're running away from all of your problems. You think you've put all your problems in a great distance away. See, that's what Jacob thinks he's doing right now. I'm going to go into a distant land. Uh, Esau will forget everything that's going to happen. It's going to be 20 years before he sees Esau again, by the way. And Onesimus runs away and he runs right into the arms of God. And he, he encounters a man by the name of Paul the Apostle. And the whole letter of Philemon is because Paul's writing back to Philemon. But Onesimus runs into the arms of Paul and into the arms of Christ. He comes to faith in Christ. And uh, isn't that just like God? When you think you're running away, when you think you've put everything in, there's no hope for you anymore. That you run right into the arms of God. Paul had some really confronting advice for Onesimus. We're going to get to that in a moment. And we're also going to find that Jacob finds himself in an enormous confronting place as well. Uh, for those that know the story of Jacob, we're going to fast track in a moment to chapter 32. But that, for those that know the story of Jacob, you will know that he uh, finds Laban, he settles down and his eyes are fetched for a lady by the name of Rachel. And so he makes an agreement with Laban and says, you know what, I'll work for you for seven years for your daughter. Seven years? 
Laban agrees, but on the marriage night, he sends Leah in and he deceives Jacob. The deceiver becomes deceived. Jacob, by the way, means deceiver, swindler. He becomes deceived and so he he ends up laying with Leah and then he has to take her as his wife, but he still wants Rachel. So he makes another agreement and says, oh, you know what? I'll work another seven years. She must have been good, right? Another seven years and then after 14 years, he takes both of them still as his wives and uh, he begins to outgrow uh, Laban, because uh, this is what I love about God. Jacob, you have a look at the nature of Jacob. You have a look at how much of a swindler and a deceiver he was. It didn't matter where Jacob went. God blessed people through Jacob. And it gets to the point where Laban is enormously blessed, and he knows the only reason I'm blessed is because Jacob's here. For more reasons than the fact that he took my troubled daughters away from me, but for more reasons than that, I've got my flocks are growing. Everything's just really easy. The blessing of God. And so Jacob makes a point and says, you know what? We're outgrowing each other. And it becomes a little bit restless. And in chapter 31, God says to Jacob, I love this verse, 31 verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, It's time for you to return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. It is time for you to go back to Bethel. For those that have been tracking with this church for a long time, for those that were here in the early days, I think of Robin, I think of Neil and Pam. I think Robin was here when um, Noah was still leading worship. Um, and Robin and, and Neil and Pam have been here for a long time. and their heart, Why are they here for a long time? Because God has rested on their heart that, that he is doing a work. And it's been an up and down ride, Rob, and I'm sure that everybody that's tracked with this church for a long time would say this has been an up and down ride and then to culminate everything, we get this weird guy from Tasmania. My son, Reuben. But... <laughs> but, but the reality is that through all the ups and downs, God is taking us as a church and as a people. God, I firmly believe God is taking us to a place. I think God wants to bring us back to Bethel. I think God wants to move us more into the fullness, closer to him, more into his fullness, further into his presence, expanding his kingdom more and more. God wants to work through us. But before we get back to Bethel, as both as individuals and as a church, I think God is doing a deep work in our lives. And God says to Jacob, it's time to go back to Bethel. It's interesting because now when Jacob does come back to Bethel, God's using different language, a language like dwell. You're not visiting anymore, Jacob. This is not just a season in your life. You're coming back to Bethel and this is where you will dwell. You will dwell in the house of God. Wow. But it's also just like God that the very next step that Jacob takes, uh, God looks after Laban. But when we get to chapter 32, we find the very next step, isn't it? Just how God says, you know, before you get to Bethel, you've got to deal with the Esau's in your life. Jacob's like, well, hang on a second. Can't we go round Edom? Can't we kind of just 
go a different way. But it's interesting that the very next move that Jacob makes is you've got to, before you can come to Bethel, before you can come into the fullness of everything that I've promised you, before you can return, you've got to deal with the Esau's in your life. How many people here today, don't raise your hands, how many people here today have got Esau's in their lives? How many people, when they look over their past, they, they think they're thinking immediately maybe of failures, maybe you're thinking of hurts. God says, you know what, I want to bring you to this place. But before I do that, I've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with Esau. That's what I love about the Bible. What we're going to find is, very soon we're going to find God's not dealing with Esau at all. I love how God does that. You see, Paul with Onesimus, let's, let's, let's rewind back to Onesimus for a moment. Uh, Paul says to Onesimus, you've come to faith in Christ. And you know what? If you really want to go forward in your relationship with God, you've got to go back to Philemon and make that right. You can't go any further until you make this right. Jacob, you can't come back to Bethel until you deal with Esau. And man, it churns him up inside. You read some of the language in chapter 32. Uh, it says that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. You know, men, when, when your wives give you that look, that's how Jacob felt right now. Jacob goes on and prays, and I love his prayer. Listen to how Jacob's language is beginning to change. God's going to enormously bless Jacob, and you wouldn't have picked how he's going to do it. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan. How many people can say, you know what, when I came to God, I ended up having nothing in my hands. (laughs) That's the irony of the gospel in some respects. We come to God with all of our righteousness. You know, here's all my righteous acts. Here's how good I am. And God says, until you lose all of those, you can't come over. Jacob says, all I had was my staff. And now I am two camps. I've got all this livestock, all these kids. And he reminds God, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. He's afraid that Esau's going to overrun him. And if you read the story, we're going to pick it up in verse 22 in a moment, but if you continue reading the story, Jacob's so worried he takes matters into his own hands. How many of us are like that? How many of, how many of us are like Jacob right now? Jacob's like, okay, I've got to make this right. How many of us are sending sheep and goats? See, he surrendered. He was surrendering sheep. He was surrendering goats. He was surrendering wealth. He was dividing his camp. He was doing everything he could to try and appease Esau himself. And how many of us are like that? I'll make this right. I'll do it. How many of us are wanting to do it our way? Ah, you see, Jacob was ready to surrender everything. But was Jacob ready to surrender himself? That's what God wanted, you see. I love the story. You know, often we pray uh, and we go through the Lord's Prayer really quickly. When we get to the third man, you'll unpack this a little bit more. But isn't it interesting how we just quickly pray the words, not my will, but your will be done. And we say, God, your will be done. And here's a sheet of paper we slide across the table with how we would like you to do it. Thank you very much right now. 
If you could just rubber stamp my prayers, God, um, I've got everything sorted. Um, I know better than you, so I'm just going to slide the piece of paper across. Here's how it should all happen. Your will be done. <laughs> yeah, just stamp at the bottom, please. How many of us pray prayers like that? How many of us seek God's will, but we've already gone before him and worked everything out? That's what Jacob's doing right now. What God's waiting for from Jacob is the same thing he's waiting for from every single one of us. Is the moment in our lives when we slide that piece of paper across the desk and the only word that's on there is the word yes. God, you fill out the rest. God, your will be done. Whatever that looks like, here's my piece of paper that says yes. And whatever you write underneath that word yes, it doesn't change. That's what God's waiting for today. Maybe it's relationships that need to be restored. Maybe there's marriages in this room that are in trouble. Maybe there's hurts from the past. Maybe there's all those things. And we want to fix it all of our own way. We... I'll just send that person a text message when God's telling us to go and knock on their door. Uh, I'll wait for them to ring me. How many people are waiting for that today? How many people have told God, God, restore this relationship. Your will be done. As soon as they ring me. You see, God wants to move us forward, but there's, there's been some hurts. There's some unwholeness. Verse 22, I, I love this account. I reckon we're about to describe some people in this room. The same night he arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children, might be part of his problem, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. When God gets you alone. Read this now. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? Great question. Please remember, whenever God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. We've covered this many times. When God said to Adam, where are you or where were you? It wasn't like, hang on a second, where did I put that dude? No, no, no. He wanted Adam to know where he was. What's your name? My name's Jacob, the deceiver. Not anymore. There's people in this room that have been wrestling with God for a very long time. There's people in this room, maybe you've been wrestling with God for years. Maybe you've been wrestling with God for months. Maybe you've been wrestling with God for days. You want things your own way. You're going to make everything happen when God's still waiting for you to surrender the one thing that he's waiting for, and that is you. Maybe some of us in this room, maybe some of us are disappointed with God. Maybe, has anybody ever found themselves saying this? This is not what I signed up for, God. When you called me, when I decided to follow you, Lord, this is not what I signed up for. And here's where we need to remember that we love our pastor because 
right now, Jacob thinks that all of his problems are external. Jacob's made the biggest mistake that we all seem to make. Jacob says, all, my, all of my problems are Esau. We, we think that all of the past hurts are our problems. We think that what that person said many years ago, maybe how we were treated, all of those things. And, and I'm not denying, if we went around the room here, man, there are some stories in this room. There are some stories. We, we need a supply of tissues. that are, the, the, Everybody in this room has got a story. And we always think, you know what, God, all of our problems are everybody else. When what Jacob teaches us and what God is teaching us is our biggest problem is internal. The reality is you can't control what happens on the outside. Quite often you can't. Sometimes God shakes the boat. Remember, love your pastor. (laughs) Maybe where God wants to bring us is the point where we realise. See, Jacob's about to move from I've done nothing wrong to I've done everything wrong. God says to Jacob, what's your name? He says, well, my name's Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the swindler. God says, no more. He says, you shall now be Israel. See, Israel was who God had always intended Jacob to be. That he would be the beginning and the forming of a nation. Twelve tribes, twelve redemption. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. What a beautiful transaction that's happened. There's people in this room today. God is wrestling with you. You know, sometimes the reality is that... uh, the wrestling will either end by us surrendering or God will touch our hip. Jacob limped the rest of his life as a reminder of who was in charge. What I love about Jacob is if you fast forward to the time where he's standing before Pharaoh, I love these words, he's leaning on his staff. Uh, 17 years before his death, he's, he's leaning over his staff and he says, my years have been long and tough, but God has been my shepherd. What a profound statement. My hope and my prayer today is that many people will say that. That's how you die well. That's how you get to the end of your years here Here's a prophecy. Some people came here looking for a prophecy this morning. Here's a prophecy for every person in the room. You are going to pass away. And I pray that you're ready when you do so. If you'd like to flick over to chapter 35, we're going to begin to bring this to a close. Uh, Paul, going back to Onesimus, Paul says to Onesimus, you've got to go back to Philemon and make this right. And here, take a letter with you. Uh, I love how Paul words this. Uh, uh, He says, I could command you Philemon (laughs) here's a note for leadership right now I could command you to show grace to him but rather I would prefer to urge you and encourage you we don't actually know how that ended but we do know how it ends for Jacob. Verse, chapter 35, verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. All has been sorted with, uh, with Esau. This is where we're at now. 
And in between is a, is a really confusing chapter, chapter 34, where Jacob's daughter falls into trouble in a place called Shechem. And Jacob had been called to go back to Bethel, but Shechem was kind of not quite Bethel, and it was the safe place. It was the comfortable place. There was much danger and much risk going on, but God looks after Jacob and then brings him. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Oh, they're powerful. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Verse, uh, verse 2, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods. You've got to be right with everybody else first. You ever notice that? You've got, you got to make your horizontal relationships right first. Then you can deal with your vertical relationship with the king of kings. Jacob says, put away your foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go back to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress. Verse 9, God appears to Jacob again at Bethel. Jacob comes back to Bethel. If you go on from here, Jacob's life is not perfect, but his life is completely and radically different. He has come back to where God had always called him. I'm going to ask Karen if she can come and play as I bring this to a close. I'd like to introduce you today to the third man. He's the God man. And how I think the God man models this so beautifully of all the accounts in the gospel, I take great encouragement from the Garden of Gethsemane. How many people find themselves in, the, in a season like the Garden of Gethsemane? You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible tells us that Jesus was greatly troubled. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, if, 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 if this cup can be taken away from What's Jesus saying? I want to get to there. Can I, can I go around the cross? Is there another way? You see, we talk about being in the fullness of the Spirit. We talk about walking and living in the power of God. We all want to live in the resurrection power of God. We all want that empty tomb moment, but none of us want to go by the way of the cross. You see, you can't get there. Jesus said, anybody who comes after me must take up his cross follow me and in the garden of Gethsemane I take great encouragement, why? because Jesus says not my will your, your will be done, that's, the, that's that blank sheet of paper with the word yes and what that meant for Jesus was I'm going to surrender my life into the hands of these thugs and they're going to flog me until I have no control now they're going to beat me until I'm almost dead anyway and then they're going to make me try and carry my cross all the way up to the top of that hill. And all, all the way up there, people are going to spit on me and swear at me and curse me. And the Pharisees are going to laugh at me. But I, he could see the empty tomb. Friends, the reality is God wants to bring us to the empty tomb. God wants us to be walking in the fullness of his power, in the resurrection power, but we so often want to go round the cross. And what God would say today is there is healing available for you at the foot of the cross. There is some baggage you've got to leave at the foot of the cross. There are some hurts you've got to leave at the foot of the cross. Your problems are not all external. Your problems are internal. So many of us are like Lazarus. 
we come stumbling out of that tomb. With the grave clothes still on. Jesus would say to you today, the same as he said in chapter 11 of John, take the grave clothes off him. If you're here today and you feel like you're between Bethel and God's been placing his finger on those areas in your heart. Don't go away today without doing business with God. We're gonna, Karen's going to lead us in a very light song right now. It's a very easy song. It's all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. If you want prayer today, we'd love to pray with you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.